this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back this week with one of our requested reviews that uh, a frequent requester mm-hmm. laid a new one on us. Requested, requested review. review. This is one, Jay. This this review. I feel like I'm doing uh-huh. the, the Tradio bit where I'm like, this is an item. This is a... <laughs> <laughs> This is an item. It's been in my family for a long time. It's a valuable item. What's the item, sir? It's an item. Set it up. Yeah. So this is uh, Driving and Crying, Jay. And uh, Eric cool. Peterson suggested it. Excellent. Now, I, I'll be honest. I had never listened to any Driving and Crying. What? No. You never heard the Fly Me Courageous? Nope. Come on. Nope. Never heard of them. And That's a pretty big radio song. Well, I didn't listen to the radio, Jay. I, I was... Uh, In the early 90s, you didn't listen to the radio? No. Whatever. <laughs> I was listening to an advanced uh, version or a or primitive version of uh, Spotify. Uh, no, I don't... I, I, uh, I did not hear this song. Geez. I didn't hear it. I never heard this okay. band. Okay. I heard the name. Were you in Cry. Cleveland at the time? Uh, In 91... Yeah. Yeah, Cleveland Radio played played it pretty heavy, man. What, MMS? Uh yeah. You know, I don't know. I I pro you know, I probably wasn't listening to the radio that much when I moved to Cleveland. Because I was out in the burbs, far away from Cleveland, and I was Yeah, me much, too. I was getting my music from people that I went to school with. So uh-huh. like somebody would be like, Hey, check out this Eric Johnson guy. I'd be like, Okay, and then be like Hey, check out. Exactly. So I I listen to it from a you know a dubbed cassette, and I go okay, and then I go down to the record store and buy it on cassette. Same thing with like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Public Enemy, and you know all these different bands that eventually I would hear on the radio, <laughs> but I wasn't really listening to the, to the radio that much. I did as a kid, but not as much as in high school. You know what? You know what? It also, was my car had an AM radio. Oh, I, I drove a 1979 Chevy Citation when I was in high school, and all it well, had was an it. AM radio. Well, that'll do it. So I listened to a lot of Rush Limbaugh. That's about it. And what yes. was this? 1420 was that the uh, sports talk station in Cleveland? 1420. I think that's one of them. Yeah. WKNR. Maybe. Yep. Yeah. Uh, or something like that. Yeah, it's not KNR. It's uh, something else, but yeah. It's yeah, one so of it, was, it was split between um, uh, political talk radio that I had really no interest in. I just put it on because I needed something in the car, and, and uh, it's Cleveland Sports Radio, which, again, I wasn't like a big Cleveland sports fan because I was from Buffalo, So, but I needed something. So, Jay, I missed it is what I'm saying. I missed driving and crying completely. You apparently know who they are. I do. I know that song. Okay, you yeah. know that song. Yep. Over on our our Patreon page, Eric, who suggested this record, gave us some uh, some feedback on it. He said, "So this album was pretty much a disappointment sales wise, following their previous album having a couple of hit singles. Considering their sound, the scene they came out of, and the popularity of alt rock in 1993, why didn't this album do better? 
Was it the album, or was it that they were seen as a part of the hair metal hard rock scene of 1989? Jay, that's an interesting setup for this review. We can talk about it in the history of the band, but what he's talking about in terms of the scene they came out of, so they were from Atlanta, Georgia. Who, there was a band in the 80s also out of Atlanta, Georgia. What were they called? Oh, yeah, R.E.M. So they actually had a connection to R.E.M. I don't know if you know that, Jay. I do. I do not know that. Yeah. The uh, guitar tech for R.E.M., Buren, or I think Buren, maybe, Buren, B-U-R-E-N, Fowler. He became the touring rhythm guitar player in Driving and Crying um, in the uh, late 80s. They had a connection in that way. Um, I should back up a little bit. So they from Atlanta, Georgia. They formed in 1985. The core lineup was Kevin Kinney. Kevin spelled with no I. K-E-V-N. Okay. He was the uh, uh, lead singer and uh, vocalist, lead singer, vocalist, uh, guitarist uh, for Driving and Crying. And then also had um, Tim Nielsen. They've gone through a couple or or more than a couple lineup changes. So the current lineup is Dave Johnson and Aaron Lee Tasjan. The original lineup was uh, Frank French. He ran a recording studio, and that's how he met Kevin Kenny. That's all my notes say. It says, met in a recording studio. <laughs> um, and then Paul Lentz was a drummer who played with them in the early years, um, who Tim Nielsen uh, was in a band with. So anyway, a lot of different people were in and out of this band at different points, but it's mainly uh, Kevin Kenny and, and Tim Nielsen are the names that you need to know. Um, at one point, they were signed to Island Records. They put out uh, a number of records on Island. The one that we're reviewing is their fifth album, Smoke. It came out in 1993. Smoke, reached number, smoke. Reached number 95 on the Billboard 200 chart. Nice. Uh, yeah. So so Fly Me Courageous is, are you saying that was 89? No, that was, was 91. That 91? Okay. That came out in 91. Uh, okay. That was one of the albums that was released on Island. The album uh, ha- was released during the outbreak of the Persian Gulf War, Fly Me Courageous, mm-hmm. and it became a, a sort of a, a, not a rallying cry, but it was used on um, naval and air force bases, and the pilots were telling the band that they were listening to it before takeoff. And they would go, when they would you know, take off for whatever bombing run they had to go on. Okay. Uh, so that's interesting. Cause yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't have thought of that. Okay, this is before they were all listening to uh, Megadeth and the metal, apparently. So as uh, you know, Fly Me Courage went to number ninety on the Billboard chart. As I mentioned, and as Eric mentioned, it did not the, the follow up Smoke did not do as well. It made it to ninety five, but apparently the sales were disappointing compared to Fly Me Courageous. It's hard to get exact sales information on this band as far as singles go fly me to courageous made it number 15 on the u.s modern rock chart and number 19 on the u.s mainstream rock chart they also scored two other singles build a fire and the innocent 15 and 31 respectively on the u.s mainstream rock chart from fly me to courageous now smoke did score a couple of u.s mainstream rock uh top oh, five wow. singles i remember build a fire too what was yeah. the third one the innocent and if you go to their Spotify uh, page and you look at like, you know, what the top ten 
most played yeah. songs are, all those are like in the top five. Yeah, all three of those got played heavy in Cleveland, man. I, they're all very familiar to me. Okay. So the band is still together. Uh, in 2012, a documentary called Scarred But Smarter, The Life and Times of Drying and Crying uh, was produced. And in 2015, Driving to Crime was inducted into the Georgia Music Hall of Fame. Um, they've released a number of albums and EPs, 12 uh, albums, uh, a bunch of EPs, including between 2012 and 2014, they put out four EPs. Um, and then I believe just this year, they put out like a greatest hits compilation. So that is everything I know about Driving to Crying. <laughs> of course, you can go to uh, you know the web and, and go to their actual website for more information and and whatnot. So, I mean, they were Black Crows is coming out. Yep, around this time from the same from same area. I guess Georgia Satellites would have been a little bit earlier, right? right? And I, Black Crow they actually share a member with Black Crows as well. Johnny Colt? Uh, no. Jeff Sullivan. Sullivan had been the drummer for Mr. Crow's Garden, which was the original name of the Black mm. Crows prior to joining Driving and Crying. Thank God they changed that name. Mr. Crow's Garden? <laughs> Ugh. And I, I, I kinda, so Eric made a comment about them maybe getting lumped in with the 80s kind of hair metal stuff, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit, I suppose, but they definitely stood out. Yeah. I mean, I, I was... You know, we've talked about this in past episodes. I was very much aware uh, into that scene. So uh, this band was definitely grittier. I don't know that they. I, I I don't remember them touring with any of those bands. I mean, they were a hard rock band, but they were definitely in the same way that the when the Black Crows came out, it was you know yeah. different, like well, markedly different. Like yeah, they had long hair and wore jeans and whatnot, but it was like. There was a grittiness and a rawness to it that, and it just seemed a little more authentic. Mm-hmm. That made them stand out. And I think that that's evident in some of the info I've read about them. Like their early tour, one of the early big tours, they opened for REM on their Green album tour. So that's back in I don't know when was the Green album? Was that like eighty eight, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, somewhere in there? Mm-hmm. So that's you know, that's when this band is putting out their like second album. Right. And then um, when they put out, I guess it'd be the album between Fly Me to... Oh, no, I guess it was after Fly Me to Courageous was 91 and Smoke. When they put out Smoke, they toured with Neil Young and Soul Asylum. Right. That would make more sense to me. Yeah. And and then I can kind of see in terms of, you know, some of the Soul Asylum and, and Neil... I mean, Neil Young is considered the godfather of grunge, but he has all this country and, and Americana influence um, mm-hmm. with bands. And obviously that's prevalent with this band. And then Soul Asylum has this, you know, a Midwestern uh, approach to their song. Same way with like Paul Westberg and the replacements that you can kind of hear in bits and pieces. Sure. In terms of what you liked about this record and what I liked, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to mention. So I did sample because I didn't know this band. I did sample some of the top playing songs on Spotify. Sure. And what I noticed, and maybe you noticed this too, is how unlike the rest of this stuff, the majority of this album sounds like. To me, this sounds like they're making their cult electric. Like they found ACDC 
uh, or they dug out their ACDC records again and decided to, you know, play to make TNT <laughs> because a lot of this record is very 70s rock influenced, much harder and louder and faster than anything that I sampled. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was, I mean, knowing those singles off Fly Me Courageous, uh, I wasn't taken aback by this album. Right. Um, maybe it's raw and, and uh, slightly less produced or slick, but it, it, I mean, it certainly sounds like the same band to me. Yeah, but a song like, I'll say like track two, She Doesn't Want to Go. Yeah. I mean, doesn't that, th- that sounds like prime era ACDC with Bon Scott. Uh, sure, but I think. So does there's aspects of flying, um, climbing courageous that do too. I mean, okay. it's all it's it's very riff oriented, simple drums, mm-hmm. um, in the pocket. His vocal is very Bon Scott, can get very Bon Scott esque. Maybe not his um, phrasing as much, but definitely kind of the nasally kind of delivery. Right. Um, I could hear some similarities there. So yeah, I mean, I think, that, and and that was one of the bands I was going to bring up in terms of them standing. In the same way that, yeah, you know, ACDC could tour with a lot of those bands or have those bands open with the, for them, but they were different. Like there was an authenticity to them and a rawness and realness that made them stand apart. And I felt like this band, in a very similar way, uh, did as well. You know, the riff-based, it's riff-based rock music, you know? Yeah. I guess that's that. Why I found myself enjoying this record so much is is the riffs. Yeah, um, you know, it's just a fun. They they do uh, slow it down at times, and and you can hear some of the more traditional, I guess you'd say, southern rock influences. I guess that that was one thing that took me aback a, a little bit was I was expecting a very Black Crows kind of sounding record, and yeah. the Black Crows never sounded like ACDC. No. No. And so when you get to that second song or you get to some of the other songs that have these, you know, very urgent up-tempo yep. um, beats, you're like, oh, how is this Southern rock? And they yeah. you know, they, they do hit that uh, a song like um, uh, When You Come Back. That, to me, okay, traditional sort of bluesy sure. Southern rock sound. But, it's but almost- the, rockers, the rockers are uh, their head bobbers or almost head bangers sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really... They can they deliver that in the same way an ACDC can, you know, where you're just listening to the tune and just the way everything has come together and the tempo is right. And you're just kind of like, you know, nodding your head along we, involuntarily. Um, they definitely can deliver that, which is, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's not really what the Black Rose are about. Um, so it's different in that way. I also heard in terms of like the seventies rock influence on a song like 1988, that was a very like Joe Perry kind of riff. Oh yeah. That sounds like Aerosmith, man. Yeah. That was, it sounds like sweet emotion. Mm hmm.
they're drawing from you know their cat their their history of growing up listening to not just southern 70s rock but just overall i mean you know yeah big guitar riff oriented 70s rock and it's mm. it's cool because their take on it is you know with his vocal that's not quite Bon Scott, but it, it can get there a little bit. It's it's a really interesting combination. And then they do do some th- they do do they do some things. <laughs> they, they they do do. Uh, they have a song like um, "Patron Lady Beautiful," uh-huh. sort of like this big epic, you know, grandiose. I don't want to say power ballad because it's it's much too big and it's it's. Uh, more in the vein of like a um like a dream on or something like that kind of like uh it reminds me a little bit of like a, a hendrix tune like just the, the guitar part the yeah or, or, yeah i can fuzzed that. out kind of psychedelic sounding mm-hmm. um but you know it's bi- it's it's pretty big and epic it's pretty long too right yeah it's yeah, over it's seven seven and, minutes. Seven and a half minutes long it works pretty good at that length though the way to way that it builds and i didn't find myself Wanting to skip ahead, no. I love the the march at the end of that, sort of like that breaks into that kind of drum march bit. The the second half of that song, I love that. That's so good. And it's the only song that they really take the only. It's the only song they go in that direction. Like most of the record is is pretty up tempo. Um, you have a song like um, which one is it? Is it what's the difference? Is the other sort of like low key song along yeah. with when you come back? Yeah. I dig that song, man. That sounds like uh, you're gonna sound. You're gonna think I'm crazy. This is gonna be one of my. This is this is what I'm known for on the show. I think. Go ahead. It 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 rem- the phrasing the way he puts together words mm-hmm. and rhymes them reminds me of Paul Simon. Uh, so this huh. to me sounds like Paul Simon does a heavy rock song, but it's stripped down. I love how it's just really just an electric. Uh, to kind of a dirty electric and a vocal. And I think what's so cool about it is that when you listen to how it's arranged, the vocal and that guitar, they're kind of duetting. Like they're, uh, they go back and forth. Like there's mm-hmm. a chord and then he says a, a word and then there's a chord and he says a word and they kind of talk to each other through the whole song. Right. As opposed to it being like just strummy chords and then he sings over top of the strummy chords. There's a, like a, a bounce or a back and forth exchange that happens between the vocal and this guitar, which I think if the rest of the band was there, you would miss it. But because they just, they, 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 they restrain themselves and they resist the urge to come in with the big, you know, band, full band rock thing. Mm -hmm. And it's always just through that song. You're just like, here they comes. They're going to come in here. And then just, they never do. Right. Which I think is to great effect, you know, uh, you, you keep wanting it and that never happens. But then by the end, you're like, you go on the journey and you don't really miss it. You're kind of glad that it just stayed. It just simmered. Right. You know what I mean? It never really came to a boil. Yeah. Um, and, and so much of the record already covers that territory. You know, it kind of sure. just sets up the last quarter of of the record. Yep. And, you know. God bless them. Even though this is a, a twelve-song record, and it, it's a little bit long, but all these songs are pretty concise. You know, they're like three twenty, two fifty-nine, three fourteen, three forty-four, three eleven, four eleven, three nineteen. There's very few songs that overstay their welcome, and that, so that was 
really unexpected. On the flip side, I can totally understand why, to Eric's question, why this didn't do well. Nobody wanted Bon Scott ACDC in 1993. You know, ACDC was yeah. ACDC in 1993. They, they had a hit record in 1991 with yeah. uh, Thunderstruck and Money Talks and Are You Ready? And then when was the next Ball Breaker came out in like 1997 or 8? I mean, it was a while before they, they put their toe back in the water to make another record. I think they put out the ACDC Live album in between. Yeah. I, I think there's more here though than just I, I don't want to overstate the ACDC comparison in that. No, I'm just just a straight I mean, up rock record is what I'm. They're not like Rhino at. Bucket or a band where it's like they're pretty much just mimicking ACDC, which there's nothing wrong with that either. Like right. I love ACDC, no. so we we could use like two or three more of those bands. But no, but if the Cult's uh, Electric album came out in 1993, yeah, it wouldn't have done well. Yeah, I, I guess I would also say that, you know, look, I, I like m- the majority of this record. That said, there's not any huge songs on here. You know what I mean? There's some really good songs that I enjoy quite a bit, but you, there's no other than Smoke. There's no nothing else on this record like, oh, shit, this should have been a huge hit. So from that standpoint alone, I, I get, you know, uh, you know, why I, I guess my point is, is that, you know, if a soul asylum around this time, a little bit after could have hit songs, I think this band could have as well. I just don't think they had the material at this point. No, I think you're right. I think the, it's a collection of solid rock songs, like turn it up mm-hmm. and turn it off. And, and she doesn't want to go and whiskey soul woman, which I'm surprised that Ian Asprey has not written a song that has that <laughs> lyric. I don't think he's ever written about whiskey. No, I don't think he, maybe he doesn't drink. Uh, it'd be hip soul woman. Yeah, uh, Memphis Shake Soul Woman. I love Eastern European Carney Man, track 10. <laughs> um, I love the title. I think it's hilarious. And I think it sounds to me like if Counting Crows had a giant set of balls, what they would sound like. kind of delivery but done with way more conviction chunkier more attitude and more energy i i just love that and, it, and it's one of those songs where the when it starts you're like nah, i don't know if i don't like this and then the drum fill comes in and it kind of does this like switch the tempo kind of just change reframes the whole song when mm-hmm. that drum fill comes through and then it grabs you right away because it you know the vocal drops right at that point yeah. And uh Yeah, I love that tune too. Kind of a, a spoken delivery like uh Adam Dirtz would do, but just a lot lot guts here. Interesting. Occasionally I found myself thinking of the upper crust with that sort of title, <laughs> Eastern European Carney Man. 
<laughs> but uh, not very well. What's not wrong very with often. that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Not to press the the AC DC button too much, but I just think that you know, 1993 was the year Pearl Jam put out Versus, and you know, th- this is this was just in total opposition to anything that was going on on the radio, and and maybe the strength of the songs isn't there as a as a single, was whether it's a strong album. Um, it doesn't have a standout, like you said, single, which probably hurt it getting any, making any sort of impact on a Hot 100 or, or something like that. Even you know, college radio is not going to play anything at this point from this record. They're going to be playing. Uh, there was a, there was a Beastie Boys album. There was Pearl Jam. You yeah, know, you know all that kind of stuff. It's too, uh, it's almost too I don't know earnest. You know, it's yeah. it's not. It doesn't have a a quirky enough of a weird quirky alternative flip to it right for this time period yes yeah so i love i love smoke too though i mean and that got you said that got a little bit right charted a little bit yeah verses in that tune are awesome it it comes close to having a course you know it's kind of a little bit obvious but you know it's memorable makes you walk around the house going smoke 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 (laughs) smoke 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 yeah um, all these songs, if you cranked them up about ten or fifteen on the uh, on the old odometer, got them a little yeah. faster. Uh, they get into like Glucifer territory, which I also oh, sure. liked. Yeah, I thought um, back against the wall. You know, that's kind of a Motorhead-ish riff. Mm-hmm. Listen to it. If you sped it up a little bit more, you'd be in that territory for sure. Yeah, definitely could hear the, the the Motorhead comparison on that one. So let's talk about our overall opinions on this one, Jay. Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? Where are you at? Oh, I'm at a worthy album. I mean, there's really maybe two two songs on this record that I would skip. I'm not. I'm not I, I don't love 1988. I. I I, I love that they're doing an Aerosmith thing. It's just not a great song. Like all around the world's okay, but uh, yeah, I was gonna say that riff I, sounds like something else. That Darren, er, er. yeah, it's a little too uh, yeah familiar. Yeah, but everything else, man, I, I don't know. I this was a this was a fun one to go uh, go go dig up and uh, invest some time into. I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into Fly Me Courageous and some of this this other stuff they put out. There's a lot of records here. Yeah, I need to go back and check out some of the catalog because I agree with you. I think this is a worthy album. There's a, there's a lot of cool stuff on here. Great guitar riffs. The vocals are are fun. You know, he he's got a lot of attitude and interesting melodies to you know place with each song. That it's not repetitive. And, he's unique um, sounding too. Oh you know? yeah, it's, it's a genre where it's difficult to get a singer that has their their own thing, and I think he has his own thing going. Yeah, so I definitely have to check out more than what I just sampled quickly uh, getting prepared for this. Um, and uh, it's good that it's on Spotify because we've recently done some albums where they weren't even on Spotify. So you can go check this out 
on streaming, and uh, I probably can pick up a used copy of the CD somewhere, which I'll, I'll probably try to track down here. Don't know if this came out on, on vinyl or not, but uh be interested to check that out. So we need to thank Eric Peterson for this excellent uh, suggestion for us. This was a lot of fun, discovering me discovering this band, J.U. revisiting this band, and uh, checking out this record. So if you want to be like Eric, you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com and our request review page, and you can select uh, the option to request a review. We have spots open for the second half of 2016, or if you'd like to do it uh, via our Patreon page, you can subscribe there, and for two fifty a month, uh, you can, after 12 months, select an album for the 2017 season. You can also join us at a dollar a month to support the podcast and gain bonus material, uh, like our recent uh, roundtable discussion. We posted a bonus question when we did our second acts of the 90s, and we uh, had some bonus material for that, and that was over at our Patreon page, so you get the bonus stuff over there. And uh, lastly, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. we got a couple new uh, positive reviews over there, Jay, so we or not reviews. we got five-star ratings. Oh, nice. But we there wasn't a review to accompany them, but we appreciate that. We're up to we'll 25, take that. We'll take 25 that. reviews over at... Uh, itunes and that's we appreciate that kind feedback and uh that's it so for jay i'm tim we're out we'll be back next week with another episode dig me out thanks for listening you can support the podcast by becoming a patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash dig me out or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. me out